0: Did you know it's possible to be a Christian and struggle with personal problems, struggling with issues post-salvation? Of course you do. This is basic Christianity for all of us. But yet for some people, because they struggle so much after they ask God to save them, this becomes a problem even to the point to where they question their own salvation I want to talk about that in this podcast. The title of the podcast is "A Believing Believer Lives Practically What They Believe." And if you struggle with assurance of salvation, or if they, if you see this dichotomy between what you profess and how you live, and I hope this podcast will be beneficial for you. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for your daily drive. This is the podcast where we put our article content, and audio format so that you can listen and you can read it as well. And I would encourage you to read this podcast. It's over 2,000 words. It is an article on our website, rickthomas.net. A believing believer lives practically what they believe. And that's what we want to do. We want our belief, who we are ontologically, who we are as the state of our being ontologically, and what we live functionally, practically, we want it to be the same. But I know that it's hard, and I know that we are imperfect, and I know there can be a dichotomy, and sometimes that dichotomy can be so strong and, and so persuasive that you can doubt whether you are born again or not. So let's talk about it. I do have some articles here If you would like to read them, you're welcome to do that. There's three additional ones. One is on justification and sanctification. It is important to uh, know the difference between those two doctrines. And then I have one here called, Knowing Theology Is Not Enough If You Want to Change. And then there's this issue of asking Jesus in your heart. I have a full-length article on that as well. A little bit of a problematic saying, I asked Jesus Into my heart. In fact, I want to begin this podcast by talking a little bit about that. But again, if you want to read this entire article, a believing believer lives practically what they believe. You see, I live in the heart of the Bible Belt. Everyone in my region of the U.S. is a believer. Now, how do I know that? Well, that's easy. All you have to do is ask most anyone if they are a Christian. And they will more than likely answer in the affirmative. Of course, at this point in our existence in the United States, you'll find many who will acknowledge that they aren't Christians. But I remember coming up as a, a young person in the South, virtually everybody was, was saved and all you had to do is ask them. It's not unusual for them to follow up with your query by giving you a quirky cultural saying like, yeah, I asked Jesus into my heart when I was seven. And that may be the number one mantra in our area that a person uses to support their claim to be a Christian. If you have asked Jesus into your heart, you're in and you're good to go. But that's not exactly or the most technical way what I am asking or the response that I am looking for. When I ask a person if they are a believer, what I am asking is whether or not God imposed himself (laughs) into their lives and he opened their blind eyes to their need for a savior and gave them faith to believe in him. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking if God has regenerated them that they have been born from above by the initiation of sovereign God through the work of Jesus Christ, which is brought by the power of the Spirit. That is a different kind of discussion than the cultural saying, I ask Jesus into my heart. It's really about accent marks. I ask Jesus in my heart, places the accent mark primarily on human responsibility. That's not how salvation happens. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. In fact, listen how Paul talked about it in Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive. The accent mark is on God. He is the one that makes us alive. He is the one that gives you the faith, gives you the ability to ask Jesus into your heart. Now it's okay to say, I suppose I asked Jesus into my heart, but it is imperative that you understand. This is uh, salvation is something that God, does this is this question? This issue is huge. It's more than praying a prayer, though let me repeat, praying a prayer is critical. Praying a prayer puts the point of emphasis of salvation, however, on the person asking rather than God, who is the regenerator of people. I do trust that you understand my point. It is vital to pray a prayer, but by the time a person prays, God had already done his awakening work in their heart. He gives the faith to pray prayers for salvation. Regeneration is not about me beckoning God to come into my heart, but about God inviting me to come alive and to enter into his world. Cultural Christianity says things like, I asked Jesus into my heart. Paul says things like, you were dead and God made you alive. My primary question is, here it is. Have you been born again? Not, did you pray a prayer? Not, can you remember the knee upon, uh, can you remember the board upon which you bowed your knee and all of that? But have you been born again? Has God broken into your darkness and given you the light of his son to shine into your heart? Now let's say you have been born from above. God has regenerated you. You were once dead, but now you are alive. You are a believer. If so, I now have another question for you. Are you an ontological believer who believes functionally? Are you a believing believer? You see, an ontological believer is truly saved, born again, regenerated by the power of God. But there's a difference between our justification and our sanctification, and that's what I'm really saying. When I say, are you a believing believer, I am saying, are you ontologically born from above, justified, adopted into the family of God, and is it practically working out functionally in the world in which you live. Now, those are two different things, and you want to make sure that you don't confuse them, but that's part of the problem. Some people will become Christians, and then their life, they continue to struggle with different issues for different reasons, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And they can even go back and say, based on how I am living or thinking that I'm not a Christian, I would say that, it seems to me anyway, that it is exceptional uh, for a non-Christian to struggle with this idea of salvation. Uh, it just doesn't, see, doesn't make sense to me that the devil would confuse a non-Christian because he already owns them. It seems like only Christians would struggle with assurance of salvation because God has awakened them. But because they are imperfect, they do struggle in some way, as we all do, and some of them can really struggle with assurance. That seems to be a Christian phenomenon, not a non-Christian one. So I'm asking you, are you an ontological believer who believes functionally? Is, it, is your salvation translating practically into a Christian experience? And I want to help with that. I hope I, won't, I want to give you some questions to assist you in reflecting upon and responding to my query. How you answer these questions will inform you. If you are a believer, salvation, who believes practically sanctification. And so when I use the word believe, I also mean all of its synonyms like trust, faith, confidence, God-centered confidence is what I'm talking about, of course, not self-confidence, and hope. And so these words are synonyms to faith, and I'll use them interchangeably. And so I'm asking you, you, do you have confidence in God as opposed to confidence in yourself? Are you exercising faith in God because He is the Saver of people, rather than trusting in your strength or wisdom. I'm asking you: Are you a believing believer that it is working out in your life? Here are some questions for you to think about: Are you a Christian who is characterized by worry? Are you a Christian who is unwilling to forgive someone? Are you a Christian who holds anger or resentment toward someone? You see the dichotomy in these questions. Ontologically, you're regenerated, justified, born from above. But here's the dichotomy in your sanctification. You worry. You're unwilling to forgive. You hold anger, resentment toward others. Question four, are you a Christian who lives in regret or guilt about decisions from your past? Are you a Christian who refuses to submit to the clear teaching of Scripture on a matter are you a Christian who rarely or never confesses a sin or asks others to forgive you? Are you a Christian who is bitter or critical toward another person and you refuse to uh, forgive them? I'm done here. These these can be difficult questions for some people. I have one more. Are you a Christian who is unwilling to submit to your biblical authorities like a spouse or church leaders, maybe an employer? If any one of these characteristics is how you generally function, the first place to begin assessing your heart is whether or not you are a Christian. I appeal to you not to punch your salvation ticket too quickly, but humbly examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. I am not saying you are not a Christian. In fact, Christians struggle with all of these things, worry, forgiveness, resentment, anger, guilt, regret, submission to scripture, submission to authorities, confession of sin, critical toward others. We all struggle with various types of these kinds of problems, and so I'm not saying you aren't a Christian, but I am saying don't punch your salvation ticket too quickly And I would further appeal to you to ask other spiritually mature individuals who know you well to bring their observations to you. This is a great discussion to have in context of a community. It's too important not to take this seriously or soberly. A person who has been born again, honestly, would be humble enough to allow another person to speak into their life. And this is one of the things that happens on our forums. We have people who come along, all along, at times, and they ask this question, you know, I'm struggling with my salvation, where they're doing the very thing I'm asking them to do. Humble people will do that. That is another sign of salvation. A proud, possibly unregenerate person would show anger or annoyance or impatience with someone questioning their salvation, and so if you're willing to bring this up in community, well, that, again, that's another indicator. Now, let's assume you are a Christian, but one of the issues that I've listed above is how you struggle, worry, unforgiveness, anger, guilt, shame, whatever. If this is the case, then you are an unbelieving believer. Now, let me explain that. You're a believer ontologically, but unbelieving practically, uh, You're struggling a little bit. You're a believer who does not fully practicalize all that Christ has for you. And so, the point of emphasis for the unbelieving believer is not about their salvation, but about their sanctification. It's hugely important for you to understand and to make the distinction between being regenerated and progressive sanctification. Both of these doctrines require faith, belief, hope, trust, confidence in God. For the believing believer, it's not about whether you're a Christian, but about whether or not you're going to step up to your inheritance from your Heavenly Father and truly live in the good of the complete gospel. Are you going to become practically who you already are ontologically? As you have probably discerned, all of the questions that I've asked you have something to do with personal suffering, the anger, the guilt, shame, resentment, unforgiveness, and so forth. I ask suffering-type questions on purpose because there is nothing that gets to who we really, really are than suffering, whether it is the significant complications of your life or the little annoyances that come to us daily. Let me share one of those little annoyances. The next time you're at an intersection driving and it's not moving according to your preferences, your true faith, your practical faith will be on display. If you patiently wait for the traffic circumstances to improve and your heart is content with the congestion, maybe I should put content in quotation marks, you're responding like a believing believer. That's the person who's truly born again and they're really practicalizing their faith. You're, you're content and patiently waiting. But if you become grumpy, frustrated, angry, possibly let out an expletive or use some harsh sign language, you are an unbelieving believer at least at that moment. I'm not saying that you're characterized that is a pattern in your life, but at least at that moment you are, A functional atheist, functionally unbelieving believer. Now, some would not see the seriousness of intersection congestion and our our faith. They don't even think about it. And, And that's sad, actually. I would recommend that you spend more time thinking about the sovereignty of God and how all of life is our opportunity to put God on display, even at the intersections of life. If these people don't reflect on these mundane moments and adjust their hearts accordingly, there's a good possibility that the little annoyances in their homes will draw out similar angry responses as the congested intersection. God is sovereign God over the mundane moments of our lives, not just our big signature events. He cares about everything, about us. And he is entirely aware and solely in control of everything in our world. Luke 12 says it this way, verse 7, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more value than many sparrows." God is detailed, intricate, very much involved in the mundane moments. And so if these mundane moments or drawing things out of your heart, you do want to spend some time reflecting on that. If I'm unwilling to defer to God by trusting Him, it doesn't matter if it's because I'm not getting my way at a traffic light, or something bigger, one of the signature events, I'm unwilling to forgive someone who has wronged me. In either case for the Christian, it is a mockery of their faith. It is functional unbelief in those moments that denies the reality of God. I want to share with you two believing believers. I want to give you illustrations to people, two different illustrations. Mabel and Biff, they're not married, but they are believing believers. And I just want to walk through positive circumstances where Their faith was truly, genuinely practicalized. Mabel had a family member hit and killed by a drunk driver. It was her sister. She went through unimaginable hurt and anguish of soul for many months, as you can imagine how hard and horrible that would be. Six months later, she went to trial to testify against the person who murdered her sister. That individual received a life sentence. Now, though she was glad about justice, and her anguish of soul had not subsided, she was able to grant attitudinal forgiveness, not transactional. He wasn't asking, but she could be released in her own heart by attitudinally forgiving the person who killed her best friend. She was free, and that's what attitudinal forgiveness does. She was free from and not controlled by the evil that came into her world. And then there's Biff. He committed fornication with his girlfriend when they were teenagers. She got pregnant, and they decided to get married. He didn't want to marry her. Seven years later, they both became Christians. Biff was formerly bitter and critical and non-committal to the marriage. He lived in unabated regret for what he did and for his decision to get married. God mercifully broke into his heart, and Biff repented of his self-centered thinking. He began to process what was happening to him through the lens of God's sovereignty. He, like Mabel, was no longer controlled by the evil in his life, though he was the one who brought the darkness upon himself. Mabel did not bring the darkness upon herself. A drunk driver did. But Mabel and Biff are joy-filled Christians today Though they are thoroughly familiar with familial tragedy and personal disappointment, both illustrations represent ontological believers who believe practically. Though their circumstances are difficult, they were not overcome or controlled by the bitterness and the anger and the confusion or unrelenting disappointment that evil always brings. Before you can think rightly about the circumstances in your life, you have to understand God correctly. It is how you perceive, it is what you perceive about God that will give you your interpretation and your perspective of the circumstances in your life. If you believe that God is good, and that is how how you will interpret what is going on in your world, Now, it doesn't mean what is going on in your world will always make sense or will always be according to your preferences. I'm not saying that, but I'm talking about a faith issue. I'm trusting God regardless if things make sense or things go according to my preferences. It says that your view of God will overpower the evil in your world and give you the insight to think biblically about your suffering. Mabel and Biff believed that God was good. That's why I said if you, how you think about God, how you understand Him will determine how you respond. That kind of faith that Mabel and Biff had, it gave them their grid through which to see and understand and respond to their circumstances biblically. You do have a grid for how you interpret and react to what is in your life. Did you know that? That grid, that filter, that window through which you look through will determine what you see and how you respond to what you see, and it will control you. One of the ways you can test yourself is by re-asking those eight questions that I asked earlier, and how you answer those questions will tell you immediately if evil generally overcomes good or if good trumps Typically, the darkness in your life. Joseph had a good Trump's evil worldview. He said, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Joseph did not deny either the good or the evil in his life. He didn't deny it. And so you're not living in some kind of delusion as though evil doesn't exist. You're not living in some kind of fantasy world and so Joseph didn't deny the good or the evil, but the one, the good, took priority in his heart, and it determined not only how he responded to his brothers, but how he thought about and responded to God. And so what has more control of your heart? The goodness of God as he's actively working in your life or the evil in your life? Now, how you answer that question will tell you quickly If you are a believer who believes functionally, practically, or if you're an unbelieving believer, a person who is genuinely born from above, but yet practically you are not living it out. Let's pretend that you are a marionette with strings attached to all four of your limbs. Who or what controls those strings is your theology. So whoever is standing above you in the balconies, so to speak, and you're down uh, on the stage, they're pulling the strings, and whatever it is that's pulling those strings, well, that's your theology. That's what's controlling you. If the evil above in your life, if it's pulling the strings and making you dance, well, then that controls you. Then that means you're an unbelieving believer. You believe in God. You're going to heaven, you're eternally secure, you're ontologically saved, but practically functionally, well, you're not acting that way. If God is the one controlling those strings, then you are a believing believer, and that's what we want to be. I want to believe God made me a believer in 1984, but I have been working since 1984 to be a practical, functional one. I want to get closer and closer to Jesus so that what I say and what is real, salvation, well, it looks like that in my real world. If the evil in your world controls you, you must reconcile that with God before you can interact with the corruption of the people who are behind the problem or the problems that are in your life. Now, there's an order here. If You are the marionette, and evil is controlling you, which probably means circumstances and people are controlling you, to make it practical. And if that is an issue, then the first place for you to go is not to the people who are controlling you, but to reconcile what is wrong with your faith. If your starting point is not, God is good and He is working His good in my life through this horrible circumstance— you will never be able to navigate successfully through the circumstance. That's why you want to begin with God first. You don't have the empowering grace to work through your problems. Your efforts will collapse around you, and your disappointment will only compound. Before you can make things right with your enemy, you must make things right with God, the one who allowed, permitted, your enemy, to bring the evil into your world. There are two ways to stand at the foot of Calvary and look upon a dying king. Either what you see is evil, trumping what is right, and your life will be unalterably disappointing. Now that's what the disciples experienced and many friends experienced and family members experienced that day. There are Two ways to stand at the foot of Calvary looking upon a dying king. If you see that is evil trumping what is right, your life will be unalterably disappointing. Let's make it practical. There's two ways for you to look at your problems, the difficult people in your life. If it is evil trumping what is right, then your life will be unalterably disappointing like the apostles like the friends and family members on that day, or his death, this difficult thing, horrendous thing, unbelievable thing, this evil thing. Well, actually, it is good overcoming evil, and you're about to turn the world upside down. You're about to become more than a conqueror because you see the evil as God's active goodness. He's doing something good And this was the struggle in 1 Corinthians. In chapter 1, Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. So here we are, preaching Christ crucified, standing at the foot of Calvary. And Paul said, that's a stumbling block to the Jews. It's folly to the Gentiles, but to those who who are called, to those who are saved, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, And the wisdom of God. If you have been called, if you have been regenerated, if you are a believer, you can look at the crucified Savior, and it's not a stumbling block and it's not folly, but it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let me ask you a couple of questions. How will you approach your disappointments? Do you stumble like the Jew? Do you pass it off as foolishness like the Gentile? Or do you see that what God is allowing are His wisdom and His power? Will you become a believing believer today? If so, maybe you need to mend some broken fences in your life. Act out your faith practically. Don't just put on Facebook your last experience With God or other Christians and living a dichotomy life to where it really isn't practically real in your life. A believing believer lives practically what they believe. That is the title of the podcast. If you would like to talk about this, go to rickthomas.net, get your username and your password, read this article. Now that you have heard it, share it with a friend. Find the competent individual or individuals who will speak truth in love to you. you work it out. Let us help you if we can. Your Daily Drive is a production of RickThomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to RickThomas.net. RickThomas.net.